With a robust economy and low inflation, markets and economics are in a complicated era. WealthVest presents the Weekly Bull and Bear, a podcast dedicated to bringing financial professionals the most up-to-date weekly analysis of the trends and developments occurring in capital markets both here and around the world. Listen in as we analyze these developments and shine a light on the events that matter to us. Good afternoon, everybody. This is the fifth Bull and Bear. We got Tim with us. We got a whole slew of economic data that's supposed to come out this week, uh, which I'll let Tim talk about in a little bit. I would like to mention that uh, growth decelerated in the second quarter. We got those numbers um, increased by 2.1%, which is slight uptick to what a lot of people uh, figured it might be. You know, whether that be a range of 1.6 to 2, but um, still, still, still slowing growth number. Um, we're waiting on some numbers from the Fed. I think we're waiting on a whole slew of manufacturing data uh, and other sector data along, you know, through the rest of the week. Um, I'll let Tim kind of give his thoughts on that, and we'll we'll talk about those. Yeah, thanks, Drew. Man, you know, you know 2.1% GDP growth. Um, it's about a little bit higher than what people uh, were expecting. You had a negative revision both on a lot of the year-over-year previous quarters and a lot, of, a lot of just the quarter, you know, there's two ways you look at it, both on a quarter-over-quarter and a year-over-year basis. What matters here is the overall trend is, is not, first of all, that we never, it turns out, actually did four quarters of 3% growth there in 2018 on a year-over-year basis, it's 2.9. On a year-over-quarter-over-quarter basis, sequentially, it was like a 2.6, 2.7. So, the only good news about a 2.1% GDP quarter is that we didn't decelerate that much. you got to remember that uh, government spending has increased. It's increased a lot. You remember we just had this massive, massive tax cut, um, which drove buybacks, which does drive the stock market, which should have a wealth effect. So you've had a lot driving. You had the savings rate drawing down. Remember in these previous calls, I'm not super bearish on the consumer, but I do think the consumer is getting to late cycle and is going to be able to contribute less as you don't have any kind of real strength in the housing market. Wage growth is still fairly tepid. Um, And more importantly, you're drawing down savings. If you hadn't, uh, David Rosenberg is always bearish, but still one of my favorites. I try to take everything with a grain of salt because he definitely will cherry pick his data. But he looked at it and said, hey, you take out the incremental growth in government spending and you take out the savings drawdown, GDP growth was about zero. Look, the real trend rate is probably about 2%. And maybe that's what the bond market is discounting here. You know, we're going to get into global, you know, uh, global yields later on, but we're just looking at a really, really slow growth world. Europe's about to put up a sub 1%, uh, and that's going to be their trend. Europe's trend is going to be sub 1%. Uh, you know, it's having babies and productivity. It's, it's workforce growth and productivity, and we don't have a whole lot of either. Uh, what do you think, Drew? Yeah, I think that's right. It's, it's interesting when we mention what the GDP growth was. Um, so it was about 2.9% 2018, but – That was the same as it was in 2015, and if I recall, I think it was December of that year, that was the first time uh, we tightened in in years. Um, So, you know, we put up the same GDP number, even with all this stimulus, uh, as we did in 2015, 
Um, so that's one that's that's pretty that that's a very interesting fact. I would like to like when we get into in terms of talking about um, you know the Phillips curve. I think one of the things I was really interested to see last week was uh, Larry Kudlow of all people uh, kind of praised. Um, Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez, of all people, in terms of, you know, she was really grilling Powell on, is the Phillips curve outdated? Is it arcane? Uh, it hasn't really, you know, bore any fruit in the last two decades or so. So all these numbers seem to go against anything you'd learn in your college 101 class. Um, and that's that's really something I've been looking at. Yeah, you know, it's... It... It's just that the growth is so slow that, um, yeah, well, unemployment is super low. Uh, it's not causing uh, enough, enough, enough growth in hourly wages. One of the reasons could be uh, that we do actually have a little bit of immigration in this country and that we do have people not retiring. Uh, and, you know, there have been some papers around, hey, as people keep working in their 60s and 70s, they're kind of happy to have the job, and they're not really pushing on on wages, and they're pretty productive. So, you know, they can kind of fill in those holes for you. Uh, you can also use temp workers, which, by the way, are now declining. Uh, not a good sign for forward growth. But, yeah, I mean, look, business investment in this, in this quarter was negative. I mean, I, the idea that we've had some big economic boom here um, – it just it really isn't coming to pass, and yet I know it's the next thing we're going to talk about. We're going to run trillion-dollar deficits late in an economic cycle. It's kind of unconscionable. Yeah, yeah. Let's 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 kind of get into that. I mean, we've had a lot of analysts. Um, Blackstone was one recently uh, who said, you know, when we're looking at this pending, you know, Fed cut. Uh, there's a couple things to consider. If it's a one and done, if it acts as just a, an insurance cut, then markets might be depressed, and we could see, uh, you know, somewhat of a correction, maybe 10 to 15 percent in equity prices. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Is the market pricing in one cut, or are they pricing in a couple? Um, yeah. And, and, yeah. and what are our expectations yeah, right now? Yeah, the market is absolutely. You can you can see it on the screen. The market is absolutely pricing in a number of cuts. They're only pricing in 25 bips now for this meeting. It, they, you know, it, it has, we have backed off uh, where we were getting close to pricing in 50, but the market is definitely pricing in more. That guy has got a bearish call uh, as a result of thinking that good news on the economy is going to be bad news, and he makes the case that, yeah, you know, I think we can actually just kind of chug along here at 2%. And that there are certain cyclical things in inflation that have held inflation down, certainly on the healthcare side. Um, we've had a move higher back again in the market. That will actually have an impact uh, in financial services. That, that's a component of, of inflation numbers that get a little weird. So he's saying, look, if we go along at 2%, uh, we could act that could be fast enough to generate a little inflation, and then the Fed is really going to be wrong-footed in a position where they're looking to not lower rates, maybe even raise rates, and the market would take that badly. Who knows? Who knows? It, you know, I make the same argument every week that we all pay way too much attention to the Fed and the impact the Fed is going to have. But as long as all the old axioms of don't fight the Fed and uh, and and just the amount of faith that we have globally in central banks 
until that changes, it probably will be the determinant of the market. So he's probably right. If, if, if economic data ends up being stronger than I and most think it will, it will uh, that probably would be negative news for the markets. And one thing we don't typically talk about on this call is um, some of the technical signs. And I think from a variety of aspects, we've also seen a downward trend on some of those, um, whether that's the underperformance of small caps and mid caps versus the S&P 500. Uh, we've had a declining percent of stocks registering for 52-week highs. Uh, and we've had, you know, half of, you know, New York Stock Exchange stocks are below 200-day moving averages. Um, you know, you put that with a couple other things like advanced decline ratios and, and the market breadth. Um, and so some of these technical numbers, you know, kind of indicate a little bit of a correction in the near term. Uh, I was wondering what you think about some of the technical data and, and kind of what's, what's your position on those? Yeah. Uh, I care about trends. I've never known a technician, um, somebody who was purely a technician who was a very good trader, and I spent a few years uh, in straight-up hedge funds and equity trading prop, uh, proprietarily. I, and I just I, I don't I don't really believe in a lot of the a lot of the big uh, things that people talk about when they're talking about in technicals. I think they're mostly self-fulfilling prophecies. And the more you get into the esoterica of technical analysis, the less likely you'll have any success. But the big technical that I care about is the trend in the ISMs and the trend in the ISMs globally. I think that's a big one because I think it's a very very clear trend. Um, uh, that we are going towards 50 and sub-50 ISMs. Um, I think that some of the divergences that you refer to um, in terms of valuations uh, in equity markets, some of the valuation of some of the smaller cap names versus the market leaders, kind of that nifty 50 type thing, I think that probably matters. Uh, and also just the divergence in um, the market trend versus earnings trends. Ultimately, I say it all the time, the market is a voting machine in the short term and a weighing machine in the long term. That divergence is going to get fixed. The other divergence that's out there is between European uh, equity markets and, and the U.S. market. And that divergence is, is uh, usually comes, not usually, it always comes back uh, to parity and, and the U.S. has diverged to the upside there. So those are the technicals that I would that I would point to. There's also been kind of some chatter when we look at exchange rates and currency manipulation. I mean, um, this was more a couple weeks back, but there was, you know, talk that the Treasury might use its exchange stabilization fund uh, to help weaken the dollar, um, which is kind of a, you know, a reserve tool of, you know, cash we have on hand. I know Larry Kudlow says we're not really actively looking to use it at this point, but let's let's maybe talk about uh, what the ESF is used for, uh, maybe what it's been when it's been used historically, and and whether we see that happening. Um, I know that you know IMF published a report, you know, saying the dollar was overvalued, maybe six, twelve percent, but uh, that foreign exchange intervention might be playing less of a role uh, than we've been discussing in over the last couple of years. Yeah, look, I think the market for the biggest market forces are you got negative yields all around the world, and you've still got a little yield in the world's reserve currency. So if you've got a billion dollars sitting in in um, 
in, you know, you've got a billion incremental dollars to invest, I'd rather put it in the United States. Um, and I think that's, I mean, would you rather be in the pound? Uh, you know, we're going to be talking about it, but we're going to be looking at a hard Brexit, maybe. Uh, would you rather be in the euro, where, the you know, you, you, how much conviction do you really have that it makes sense long term for Greece and Portugal and Germany to all be in the same monetary union? Would you want to put it in the yen? Uh, or would you want to put it in uh, the yuan in China, where, you know, they're actually trying to support that currency as they control capital from moving out. I continue to think that trade wars get worse. Uh, I don't think we've made any progress, just like I said last week, and I don't think we have. Um, they've done a very good job of jawboning it, but that nothing really has been accomplished. Uh, and I think ultimately the Chinese will let, uh, as you get more tariffs, the Chinese will let the yuan rise higher versus the dollar, weaken, I'm sorry, versus the dollar to like a 7273, they'll take it off the 69 peg. Uh, so I, I think there's actually, in, and then all of those tertiary currencies, uh, the Korean won uh, and so forth, those will weaken uh, because they trade so much together uh, and with China. So I, yeah, I think the pressure is going to be on the dollar here for, for a good while. Yeah, I mean, and, 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 I, and I don't and I don't think any kind of intervention would be effective. As a matter of fact, I think it would weaken your hand by trying to make the the, the argument that other people are manipulating your currency when you're actively trying to manipulate yours. Right, and and a lot of countries uh, just look at in Central Europe have have pursued a tighter stance over the last few years, um, whether that's you know Germany or or uh, maybe countries that have their own their own central banks. Yeah, um, you know, but, you know, Germany is an export economy, though, and, and, and they really are the biggest beneficiary uh, of having the weak euro. So they really get the benefit of being in the union with uh, the Italy's, the Portugal's, and the Greece, uh, who all need much, much, much weaker currencies. Uh, so it just, I, I just, uh, it just strikes me you know, as a as a student of history, they're trying to put Germany and those Mediterranean countries in the same economic union. It's just, I just don't see how it works long term. And I think a lot of other people have the same, uh, same thoughts about it. Yeah, we mentioned last week, you were, you were talking about how, you know, Greece government debt was yielding, you know, somewhere between two to 3%. Well, right now we got $13 trillion in negative yielding bonds. Um, and so that seems that, you know, just uh, I think that's, you know, that's about 80% of Germany's federal and regional bonds. Uh, and that, that yep. seems to be driving down the yield on some of these countries we just mentioned, whether it be Greece or, or, or Portugal or, um, you know, countries that you typically see a higher yield. Uh, do you think we're going to see more of that as negative yielding bonds increase as uh, just kind of a downward pressure or, or, or what's going on in that front? You know, uh, when you when you issue debt and then you buy it and then you print money essentially to just buy it yourself, you just create new money to buy it yourself, um, and you're in a good credit cycle as we've been in now for a long time, uh, this can go on for a long time, but ultimately, uh, whether it's in China or whether it's in uh, whether it's in uh, whether it's more global, um, 
credit cycles come to an end. Um, and that is going to make the cost of capital go higher. It'll happen in the high yield market, it'll happen in the AAA market, and it'll happen in, in government bonds. People are not going to forever incur risk uh, to give uh, the Greeks, uh, you know, 30 years of risk-free money. Yeah, and one big change, I'd say, uh, last week we were, you know, was up in the air on what was going on with with our debt ceiling and, and the budget deal. Um, We've seen a conclusion to that. Uh, Democratic changer passed the measure. Um, uh, more Republicans uh, voted against it. Um, but, you know, we, we're now looking at discretionary spending of $1.3 trillion in 2020. Uh, we'll spend a little bit more money in 2021, and it seems we've suspended uh, our borrowing limits for the next two years. So, you know, what are our thoughts on that? I guess, you know, last week you and I both were in agreement that this is what would happen based on, you know, a lot of yeah. the D.C. chatter and a lot of the, you know, articles that had been out. But um, what's that mean now that it's happened? It means the adults have left the room. I mean, you know, remember the Tea Party? Remember all those people? Remember all that economic anxiety about debt and people would wear hats with, they'd hang tea uh, bags off of them? and have big rallies, and they were so worried about government spending and government debt. Well, now we're a few years deeper into the uh, economic recovery, and, we're, and, and economic, our debt is only accelerating. And what do we have to show for it? 2.1% uh, economic growth, maybe 2.5% trend line growth. It's a joke. Um, you know, we're going to go – we're going to have this 2020 presidential election. And let's say it's Biden. You think Biden is going to fight about austerity? You think he's going to say he's going to he's going to accelerate growth via tightening uh, budgets? You think Trump is going to? I mean, we're going to have a we're going to have a presidential election running trillion dollar deficits. It's not even going to be a topic. I mean, it's you know that that, that that's what frothy looks like. Uh, that's what complacency looks like. Um, and when money's free, like we're in right now, how you end up? Uh, running into really large uh, long-term bubbles uh, that will take a long time to disinflate and have real negative effects on global growth as it does. Look, and I'm talking long-term here. I'm not talking next week, next year, uh, but this is a big party. It's a ahistorical, it is an unprecedented party, um, and it will come to an end. Uh, and, and, and that deleveraging is going to be a drag on already slow growth. And we're going to be in a very low growth long-term environment. Right. I mean, it really seems that it's a matter of spending priorities at this point as opposed to, look, where can we offset, you know, costs? So I think that's what the 2020 election is going to be, whether it's, uh, you know, whether we're, we're going to do a big infrastructure bill or whether we're going to expand uh, Medicare or whether, you know, we're going to invest more in our military. It's just a matter of priorities, but it's all going to be mean for increased spending, um, you know. So, yeah, but everybody, everybody gets their priorities met. Yeah. It's like when two dudes are playing golf, I hate this move, and they each have like a five-foot putt, and the one guy looks at the other one and goes, good, good. The guy goes, sure. Like, come on. You're supposed to be out there. You're supposed to be out there competing. You're supposed to be out there fighting for it. Uh, you know, when you're in politics, you have priorities, but you don't give in on everything uh, and just say, "Hey, look, 
The optics aren't a real problem for either one of us. Nobody cares. Nobody cares if we spend, uh, you know, a couple hundred million on our own priorities on our sides uh, without any pain, without any tax revenue. We can borrow money for nothing. Come on, we'll walk out of here. Everybody, everybody keeps their, uh, everybody keeps their seats, and we move along. It's a joke. Yeah, the golf analogies. I mean, I find myself, you know, first few holes, I'm trying to put them in. Then it's putter length, and then you know, by 16, 17, we're going for driver length. You know, as a gimme. So <laughs> I think that's kind of a, a stewed analogy, at least. Um, Got to put them out, man. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so the the IMF is kind of you know seems to be in accordance with some of these points. Uh, they just released a port, uh, report. They revised the economic growth figures, um, so they're slightly lower. Uh, economy was expected to expand 3.2% in 2019. Uh, they say risks to the forecasts are mainly to the downside. Uh, we talked about China a little bit last week, but that's really one of the big stories, I imagine. Uh, you'll have some more insight on that in terms of, you know, they're at the slowest growth they've had in a couple decades now. And um, But, you know, you're also seeing other risks to some of the, you know, quote-unquote brick countries and other frontier markets. Um, and then, of course, you know, the lower growth we've talked about in these developed economies. Yeah. I, I think when you look at the, the BRICs, I mean, Russia is just – Russia is – you know, Russia's got negative population. Russia, unless oil prices are going high, Russia's not going to contribute a damn thing. Uh, India and Brazil right now are both running ISMs above 50, so they're both actually uh, kind of contributing. And they're, and they're both, you know, kind of weird, mercurial, one-off countries. Um, and then China is slowing. And China, as I've said before, uh, over the last 10 years has contributed to one-third of total global GDP growth. So China slowing is a big deal. China's numbers are the official numbers are the slowest, but the real numbers, if you kind of infer from what it means when Japan is running really negative export to China numbers, and so is South Korea, and so is Taiwan, and so is Thailand. I mean, the peripheral Asia numbers are really, really weak. Uh, so China is slowing, but the whole region is slowing, and it's slowing quite a bit. And if there's one area where I think it's a big black box that economists, global economists, just really poorly understand and don't understand what the levers might be that really make it decelerate hard and create some, some real credit crises where we start to see, uh, you know, who's swimming the naked, as I always say, um, that's still to come in China. And I think you continue to see that area decelerate. Yeah, it's – I mean – a lot of the trade chatter has been – I mean, we, we've talked about this last few months, of course, but it's been a lot of kind of moving the yard line, and then, um, you know, different things will either get resolved, but then new issues will come up. So so I guess we'll wait and see um, whether we have any resolution on some of these things. And I guess in terms of new leadership, uh, we should mention that uh, we've been, you know, dealing with Theresa May, but now we've got Boris Johnson as a prime minister uh, so, you know, had his first day on the job. Um, I mean, he's obviously, yeah. I guess, one of the more, you know, rabble-rousing um, politicians you've had in the U.K. in terms of a hard Brexit. Yeah. I guess one thing I'll say is, uh, you know, if in the United States, I mean, the difference between a presidential system and a parliamentary one is thus that if we, you know, were cycling leaders every two years and we had snap elections, I, I mean, that would be, 
you know, I feel like the end of the world. But, of course, in parliamentary right. systems, that's more prone to happen. So, I mean, one, Britain's a smaller economy, but two, this was kind of expected. But um, yeah, I'm just wondering what your thoughts are in terms of, you know, what are we looking at in Great Britain? Uh, is he going to pursue a hard Brexit? And, I mean, I guess how much time does he have to figure this out for the sake of, you know, the ECB and for the sake of, you know, the broader economy? Yeah, I mean, look, he's got the same legislative backdrop that Theresa May has. He's got the same, uh, you know, he's got the same Northern Ireland issues that Theresa May had. But what what is different is he's got much more will um, to move towards a, a October 31st hard Brexit. Just look at, you know, don't listen to me. Look at what the, what the uh, pound is doing. You know, it keeps making, it's made a new two-year low against the dollar. Um, the, the currency is telling you that uh, there's going to be a hard Brexit. And, you know, they'll, they'll just try to figure stuff out after that or as they go. Uh, but that's what he wanted. That's what he ran on. That's been his whole, you know, revival in the U.K. And that's what they're going to do, in my opinion. That, that, that's what I would guess. I don't see how they get something done in, a, in, in Parliament. And I think the pound is telling you that. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess one of the things that we've always kind of related is that like, the American Republic is one that we, we tend to have a legislative paralysis because we have this two-party system. But, you know, um, Europe might have a little bit more instability in terms of who's in leadership, but it seems their parties are mostly aligned. But now I think when you look at Germany, for example, you have huge gains by both the Green Party, but then also, the, you know, the AFD, the alternative party. So I think that a lot of other democracies, even if they're parliamentary, their actual institutions are going to, you know, end up with some of the same policy paralysis. Yeah. 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 No, I, I think, look, as, as you get political bifurcation um, between the, you know, the sort of left of center in the U.S. and the, the, the workers' parties in, uh, around the world or the labor party in the, in the U.K., versus anti-immigration parties, um, you know, that, that bifurcation is going to lead to paralysis no matter where you are. And, and I guess, um, let's see, is there anything else, I suppose, this week? I mean, I mean, I, we mentioned about briefly, but there's a lot of new numbers to come forward, and um, kind of as we reach getting to halfway through the hour, I was wondering if there's any any thoughts you have about what we should look to in the next next couple of weeks. I tell you, I think one of the most important things is going to be the uh, Democratic debates this week because Joe Biden, if Joe Biden is uh, a young 76 and he has a credible performance and he looks sharp and he looks like he's got some vigor, um, I think, you know, I, I think that That'll be important, uh, and I think that you know he will continue to be the candidate who people believe is most likely to beat Trump. Uh, if if he really looks poor again, though, you start to raise the specter of Kamala Harris or um, Elizabeth Warren uh, or somebody else even wide open after after Biden. Uh, and, and if that happens. Uh, I think you're going to start to see a lot more thinking that Trump is going to win uh, again in 2020. 
Um, I, I think that's probably the mo- most critical thing. I think the trends in the economic data around the world in the United States, look at the long-term ISM trends, look at the underlying data, uh, that, that's pretty clear. I'm not, I'm, I, I think there's a, a, a decent amount of certainty around the trend on economic data. The Fed will probably be t- do 25 dips. They'll say they're going to stay, you know, uh, aware, and, and I forget the, every different word they use, to, but they're going to signal they're going to keep moving forward. I think the game changer is, I think I would even, I'm somebody who thinks Biden wins if Biden's youthful. If Biden's not youthful and the Democrats end up running somebody else, I think there's a good chance that person loses, even if we're running, you know, 1% GDP growth and we're really just kind of clicking along uh, in the economy. Yeah, I mean, I guess to your point about the debates, I think what happened in 2016 is you had you had one iconoclast, right? Um, Trump versus, you know, another large field of guys who are saying more or less the same thing. So that's a huge outlet in terms of kind of getting out of that primary, um, well, certainly bruised, but, but, you know, with so much media attention. Now you have, you know, you have Bernie, but you have Warren, so you've got a far left wing. You got a slew of moderates now, you know, whether it be Klobuchar or, you know, our governor Steve Bullock's now put his hat in the ring. Um, you got a couple young ones like Pete Buttigieg. So there's not, doesn't seem to me that there's going to be a way to end this primary cycle uh, in a very unbruising fashion. Unless, unless, as I say, unless Biden uh, really looks strong and can t- start to suck the air out of the room can start to eat up everybody else's money, can start to slim the field down when it's him as a kind of, you know, Clinton Democrat who, an Obama Democrat who were more moderate than the kind of the people on the left here. I think that, that then there's a sense that, okay, he can close this thing out uh, and get it done. But if it comes down to Warren, Harris, uh, Bernie, that's going to be ugly to watch, and I think Trump is going to enjoy every minute of it. Yeah, no, we're certain in an agreement on that, and I'm sure, um, I'm sure after uh, Tuesday, you know, we'll be able to touch base on some of those changes next week. Uh, you know, if we if we've got a new forerunner, or if if uh, you know Biden just you know slips another seven points, and it's going to be a series of uh, painful debates, yeah. and, and whether we talk yeah. about you know government solutions that seem to get larger and larger um, as this primary cycle goes on. Yeah. All right, man. All right. Sounds good, Tim. Well, thanks, everyone, for tuning in, and uh, we'll pick this up next week. Uh, We'll have quite a bit more to talk about. I mean, there will be a Fed announcement then, and then we'll we'll also have, uh, you know, kind of the debates up and running. So uh, thanks again for your time, Tim, and for everybody else, thanks for listening. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the hosts and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of WealthVest. The mere appearance of content on the site does not constitute an endorsement by WealthVest. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. WealthVest does not make any representation or warranties with respect to the accuracy, applicability, fitness, or completeness of the content. WealthVest does not warrant the performance, effectiveness, or applicability of any sites listed or linked in any of the content. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.